Subscribe to The Leader and make sure you get us at 4pm every day. From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. London's Fire Commissioner Danny Cotton has quit, forced out by the Mayor over her insensitive response to the Grenfell Tower tragedy. Our City Hall editor Ross Lydell broke the story. It's been made quite clear to me that really she was made to go. She did not want to go. We'll speak to Ross about the meeting with Grenfell families that moved the Mayor to act. Also, human interaction should not be underestimated in this. Radicalisers have been behind many of the people who carried out plots in this country, not people just doing it online. Our Home Affairs editor, Martin Bentham, talks to us about his exclusive interview with a former Met counter-terrorism boss and his warning over homegrown extremism. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, why Danny Cotton had to go. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If there was one aspect of the London Fire Brigade's response to the fire that you could go back and change, what would it be? I wouldn't change anything we did on the night. I think, uh, without exception, my firefighters, my officers and my control staff performed in a fantastic way, given the incredible circumstances they were faced against. This response from London Fire Brigade Commissioner Danny Cotton at the public inquiry into the Grenfell Tower tragedy was met with fury from those who survived and the families of those that did not. She was accused of insensitivity and disrespect towards the 72 people who died. The inquiry found that some of those would have lived if fire commanders at the scene hadn't told them to stay put. Following that report, Miss Cotton refused to resign. Now, as the Evening Standard revealed, she's been forced to, pushed out by Mayor Sadiq Khan. Our editorial column says it was the right call. The critical report of the Grenfell Tower inquiry and Miss Cotton's response to it made it clear that new leadership is required. We said so when the inquiry's report was published, and survivors of the fire and bereaved families will welcome this as a step towards rebuilding trust. 
but bringing her departure forward from April 2020 to December 31st won't make buildings safer. Fire services must be willing to learn lessons from the inquiry, while buildings must have dangerous cladding replaced. The Grenfell report shows that many failings combined to turn the fire into a disaster. Many were not the fault of the London Fire Brigade. It is right that Miss Cotton goes, but we should remember too that she and her fellow firefighters spend their careers trying to keep us safe. Our City Hall editor Ross Lydell broke the story. Ross, Mr Carr's decision came after a meeting with Grenfell families. So the families met the mayor. They went to City Hall about a month ago and they basically said that they wanted him to sack Danny Cotton. And he pledged at the time to take their concerns incredibly seriously. This was just in the wake of the publication of the first stage of the Grenfell Inquiry report, it should be said. And he also pledged to say he would give them an answer before we had the general election day, which obviously is next Thursday. And we can now reveal in today's standard exactly what happened. Sadiq took their concerns very seriously and he spent the last week essentially negotiating with Danny Cotton to ensure that she will leave the fire brigade by the end of the month. Had Danny Cotton been intending to to stay on? Danny Cotton had been intending to go next April. She announced in June this year that she would retire. Her decision then was very controversial because families felt that she wasn't going to hang around long enough to essentially uh, hear the full inquiry and, and be there for the inquiry to ask her further questions should it wish because the, the public inquiry will uh, recommence in January and only at this time next year is it actually due to look at one of the key issues around the whole blaze, which is the stay-put policy. And this really goes to the heart of why she's leaving and what she said that so upset the families in the first place that essentially they lost faith in her. Could she have stayed on? I don't think she could have stayed on. It's been made quite clear to me that really she was made to go. She did not want to go. So this was an axing. Whether we can quite say she was sacked is disputed. The official wording today is that there was a deal done between City Hall and the brigade that she will leave at the end of the month and she's not being penalised financially in any way. Uh, But it's quite clear that she did not want to go until next April. Uh, She had insisted that she was leading the changes to the brigade. The other issue that Sadiq was particularly concerned about is that in a week or so's time, the HMI inspectorate into the fire brigade, essentially the new sort of offstead for the fire brigade, will publish a separate report into its management structure and its sort of the way it uses training and so on. And this is expected to be really quite a damning report. So basically, Sadiq was placed, placed in the position that he not only had the Grenfell families calling for her to go, he had the Grenfell inquiry first stage report saying there were structural failings with the brigade and then a new report is about to come out essentially emphasising these failings, he really had a bit of a sort of triple whammy uh, concern and the general sense that this woman was becoming weaker the longer she stayed and that Londoners had lost faith in her, so he felt he really had to act. Had she left at the time when she'd intended to, she would have received a full pension, wouldn't she? Do we know if that's still the case? Yes, we know that her pension will be unaffected and that is because she has the legal right to receive the money that she's essentially contributed towards and her employer will have contributed towards over her 32 years service. You know, it's worth saying she started with the London Fire Brigade at age 18, so she's been there really as long as she could have been and I believe she's only going next year for 
similar sort of taxed financial reasons if she'd stayed on longer perversely she'd probably have lost part of her pension or would have been more highly taxed on it Next. It's too easy to push the blame all onto social media radicalisation and perhaps not enough focus is directed at people who can influence those who fall victim to extremism. Our Home Affairs editor Martin Bentham on a former Met counter-terrorism chief's warning on homegrown extremism. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Following the London Bridge attack a week ago in which two people died, the Evening Standard's been looking at measures to prevent extremism in the UK. In the paper and at standard.co.uk, you can read our special report, which includes a demand from a former Scotland Yard counter-terrorism chief for more to be done to combat homegrown threats. Here's what our editorial column thinks. As experts rightly point out in this newspaper... The priority should be to do far more to stop people becoming inflamed with extremist ideas in the first place. One problem is that despite the fine example of some, such as the senior imam at East London Mosque, Mohammed Mahmoud, there are still not enough strong Muslim voices speaking out against extremism. Scotland Yard's former head of counter-terrorism, Richard Walton, suggests that instead, some organisations that claim to represent British Muslims prefer to criticise alleged state failings and promote a grievance culture, rather than tackling extremism head-on. Of course, the state, whether through schools, policing, mental health provision or other services, can always do more. But ordinary citizens must play their part too, by confronting the problem at its source, if the terrorist blight is to be defeated. The special report was written by our Home Affairs editor, Martin Bentham, who spoke to Ross Powell from the Standards Audio News team. What factors do you think are leading to people becoming radicalised in 2019? There are clearly, there's an ongoing narrative from the Islamist ideology that somehow the West is against them, the Western values are against them, they aspire to live in a caliphate. There's this whole ideology which is not representative of the views of the vast majority of Muslims in this country or indeed worldwide, but it does have a resonance with some people, particularly people who are perhaps disaffected, vulnerable for other reasons, and they get seduced by that ideology. And and that remains a problem. Of course, there's the influence of social media, but it's not just the influence of social media. It's also just people around them who create an environment sometimes which encourages people to have that view of the world. Is there a sort of feeling in governments at the moment that uh, sites like YouTube, for example, need to do more to remove um, sort of extremist material? I think there is, for for sure. But the thrust of today's leader actually is more about what individual people can do because it's too easy to push the blame all onto social media radicalisation and perhaps not enough focus is, is... directed at people who can influence those who fall victim to extremism in a better way 
in a way that diverts them or prevents them getting into that in the first place. And and human interaction should not be underestimated in this. It still remains a, f- a factor. Radicalizers have been behind many of the people who carried out plots in this country, and that's been human radicalizers who've been interacting on a personal level with offenders not people just doing it online so so that is the thrust of our editorial today to talk about the need for action in communities to continue to press home the view that actually the real in the case of islamist extremism with the same applies to far-right extremism that the necessity is to have moderate voices convincing people that the ideology that they might otherwise be tempted by is the wrong ideology, doesn't represent, in this case, Islam, and to stop the problem at source. I've just picked out a piece in the article. You, you quote Richard Walton, uh, who suggests that, that there are still not enough strong Muslim voices speaking out against extremism. What's your understanding of the sort of dialogue within uh, the Muslim community around extremism and radicalisation? Well, I think there are some strong voices, but perhaps not enough. And his point is that there's some of the organisations which purport to represent British Muslims have sometimes sought too often to do things like blame British foreign policy for problems and create, in essence, a grievance culture of one sort or another rather than focusing on dealing with the problem themselves. They might deny that, but there is a a point there that whatever the, the rights and wrongs of that specific point are, clearly too many people are becoming radicalised and I think the issue is it's no good, for example, a government minister who doesn't really come from that background trying to convince people of a different faith that they're misinterpreting ideology and their own religion, for example. It has to come from within because those are the voices that people can listen to. And just finally, what are the statistics saying in terms of people who are becoming radicalised and have been, let's say, convicted of terrorism offensive? How many of them fall into that disaffected bracket? Well, I'm not sure there are actual statistics on it, but certainly there are. Uh, that is one of the characteristics that can be there with, with people. I mean, you only have to think about Mohammed Enwazi, Jihadi John, as he was known, and, and his accomplices. They came from a sort of petty criminal background in West London. So that has been a factor. At the same time, it's not uniform. There are, there are people who become involved in this who are quite successful in life. They're educated. So unfortunately, there's not a simple definition to say this is a telltale sign of somebody who's going to be uh, vulnerable to extremism and, and these, are the, these are the characteristics that we need to address. Read more from Martin Bentham in the newspaper or at standard.co.uk. And that's The Leader. Please do subscribe through your favourite podcast provider and we'd love to get your rating too. Tell us what you think. We're back at 4pm on Monday. We also have an audio news bulletin dispatched to smart speakers at 7am every weekday. You can get that just by asking for the news from the Evening Standard. We'll see you next week. Thank you.